Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, I'm speaking with Jono Proudfoot, and he's joining us from South Africa. Jono spent the early part of his career as a professional chef cooking in top-rated restaurants. He is the CEO of Real Meal Revolution and the best-selling author of the book, The Real Meal Revolution. Jono, welcome to the show. Very much for having me, Rebecca. It's good to be here. So, what what got you involved in um, in writing, you know, this book and talking about this particular diet? How did you get involved in this? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a relatively long story, but I'll try and keep it brief. I, I when I was training as a chef and working as a chef, I always saw myself specializing as a um, as a, a sort of performance food chef. So I was very keen on doing kind of meal plans and getting involved in the nutrition side of food for professional athletes. And um, Professor Merckx, uh, who made a um, famous sports scientist, he he uh, was someone I always wanted to work with. And in about 2010, he decided, or he changed his tune on carbo-loading and what the best food for athletes actually was. Um, and he started um, endorsing a low-carbohydrate diet and it became very, very well known in South Africa. And um, and I kind of thought it would be a great idea to partner with him um, to write some books that would um, that would make his sort of diet come across as a lot more delicious. And uh, and yeah, so I I approached him to try and make his diet seem more delicious. At the time, I still thought it would be better for for athletes. And um, and one thing led to another. And it turns out that you know the diet we were working on became much better at reversing type 2 diabetes and, you know, restoring health in a lot of chronic illnesses. So um, the, the diet we're talking about in South Africa, you call it the Banting diet. Um, what would that be um, compared to in North America? Yeah, so Banting, LCHF, the keto diet, they're all, they're all very much the same thing. But the main emphasis uh, on all three would be eating, um, you know, reducing your carbohydrates or actually before that, reducing your sugars and, and, and staying away from refined carbohydrates and, and processed food, fast food, junk food. So, um, you know, the, the keto diet is what is what everybody says here, and, and it's uh, become more and more popular. Um, you know, and th- there are still some... Um, Everybody has their own opinion about everything, and um, one of the main, yeah, what <laughs> one of the main things about that diet is um, to go grain free. So, so what what is the the theory behind that? So, the issue with grains, um, or my understanding of the issue with grains, is that um, humans weren't necessarily designed to eat them. Um, and we can go into a long talk about the history of, of human beings, and and obviously people will argue that you know you know we've evolved at varying rates, or that evolution doesn't exist. To certainly an argument I've been tested. So, so the, the, to look at it right now, 
and just look at like what is actually happening right now, I find to be the most useful. And uh, the first thing is that gluten, um, you know, has a negative impact on a lot of people. And, you know, some believe that more than a third of the Earth's population are actually mildly or severely intolerant um, to gluten. So that's, that's the first reason we advise people not to eat bread. Um, and that relates to um, the impact that gluten has on gut permeability. So I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, but basically um, the, the, there's a scientist in California called Alessio Fasano, and he discovered a, um, a mechanism in the gut that is stimulated by the ingestion of, of gluten, whereby your, your, the cells in your gut line actually separate and can stay separated for up to um, 24 hours. And, and when that happens, you allow um, what the contents of your, of your gut into your bloodstream, and then you end up um, circulating you know, the contents of your gut throughout your body. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's obviously associated to, um, you know, chronic inflammation and a whole lot of, um, diseases. Um, and Dr. Perlmutter, who, who wrote Brain Brain, he talks a lot about its relationship with, um, with uh, neurological diseases. And another doctor called William Davis talks about the relationship between brains and, um, and, uh, cardiovascular conditions. Um, but from our side, we just, we just look at it as, you know, you know, on a very um, pedestrian level, at gluten. Our main gripe is ends with with refined carbohydrates or high carbohydrates in general. They um, and and that's because Prof Noakes' research relates more closely to um, to insulin resistance. And my understanding of insulin resistance. Remember that I'm the chef. I'm not the I'm not the technical mm-hmm. guy. Um, so, <laughs> so, sure. so my understanding of insulin resistance. Yeah, my understanding of insulin resistance is that basically, you, you know, the other word to use to describe insulin resistance is carb intolerance, and and basically, if you you know, everyone sits on a scale of how tolerant they are to carbohydrates, and you get people who are incredibly tolerant, which would mean that they can eat quite a lot of carbs and not put on weight, and then you get people who are very intolerant of carbs and just a little bit of carbohydrate makes them gain weight. But that the reason you would gain weight is because your body has an insulin response to carbohydrate. And that means that the moment carbohydrate into your bloodstream, um, you secrete insulin, which then actually pushes the glucose in your blood. So obviously carbs enter your bloodstream in the form of glucose. If insulin is, is secreted and it immediately pushes all of that blood sugar into your fat cells. Um, and basically, the, the, the more insulin resistant or the more carb resistant you are, the more insulin you end up pumping through your veins. And that's what is associated to or what causes type 2 diabetes, chronic inflammation, gut, heart disease. Um, and, and a few other chronic illnesses. So, so Prof. argument um, and what we put out in the, um, in the real meal revolution was that it's not saturated fat that causes heart disease and diabetes and high blood pressure. And then in fact, it's actually sugar and refined carbohydrates that cause heart disease, um, type 2 diabetes and all these things. And that if you actually embrace saturated fat, and reduce the carbohydrates and sugar, you can reverse your diabetes and various other chronic illnesses. Well, so um, 
We did a very long fat-free fad in, in North America, and I think the world embraced that. Um, and, um, you know, in America, I'm in Canada, but we're, we're not far behind. Um, you know, there's an obesity epidemic. And, um, um, yeah. you know, we, we were fat-free. And then um, do you think that being fat-free led to more carb cravings and then spurned on, you know, these issues that we're having now? Absolutely. I mean, uh, just from a chef's perspective, fat adds so much flavor to food. And it also carries the flavor in a lot of food. Like, if you've ever made a curry, you would, you would fry your spices in the fat because it makes the, um, because it infuses the fat with, with all of that flavor before it um, cooks the rest of the food. So fat adds a lot of flavor and it also makes you feel really full. And so what they've ended up needing to do by, after removing fat from all of the food is add sugar to make it more palatable. Um, and I mean, I think we've seen what's happened. So yeah, you're totally right. I think that removing fat from our diet has actually reduced our satiety and, and possibly um, actually caused us to consume more calories or to actually just eat more <laughs> um, in general. So, yeah, I think well, you're totally right. Yeah, I mean, sugar definitely, you know, eating a little bit of sugar, everyone tells me, and I, I've experienced this myself, of course, is then you're down a, a road of cravings for not even just that day. Yeah. It can go on and on. And um, it, it's very difficult to control that. Cravings aren't logical. So you can end up down that road, you know, over and over and um, and then keep eating, you know, the foods that are causing the problems because your your body's craving them. Absolutely. We've got a, I mean, I have this theory that I talk about quite often called the sticky rib theory, um, which also, so we don't necessarily only um, discourage people from eating sugar. We also encourage them to stay away from sweetness in general. So we kind of like, we say that um, artificial sweeteners are sort of in the gray area. And, and that's because of the sticky rib theory. And the sticky rib theory goes, if you, if you um, have sticky pork ribs, um, you know, you, you want to eat more and more of them because they're so sweet and delicious. And if you took the sugar out of them that made like an artificial sweet sticky sauce, you would probably still want to eat just as many ribs. But if you had to base those ribs with like coarse salt and rosemary, as for example, the chances are you probably wouldn't be able to get through like, you know, um, a two pound rack of ribs. Whereas if they had the, the whether the, whether the sauce was artificially sweetened or, you know, sugar sweetened, you'd probably still get through that rack. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I, I think we've all experienced that. I mean, I mean you know, I, I take my, my patients off of um, sugar and um, I, I allow them to have a little bit, but they always tell me if they go for the white sugar that, you know, it, it, it's almost uncontrollable what happens after and, and then they don't feel good in other ways as well. So then they choose not to, yeah. to do it anymore and it becomes part of a lifestyle um, where they may have fought me about it in the beginning. They realize the, how important it is not to consume these things that are hurting us so much. 
So um, one thing that that I've noticed is, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are embracing being keto um, um, or the Bantine diet, but there's also a lot of people who are saying that it, it's not good for us at all. Do you have a, an opinion about that? Uh, yeah, I, I I have this argument every day with with lots of people, and we also rant about it at our, you know at the office and. Um, I think it's the same for most diets. Uh, like, I think the same argument applies for, for vegan, for veganism. You know, there's a huge vegan faction. Um, in fact, the vegan trend is the same size as the keto trend. If you look at Google trends, they are, they are matched, um, in terms of the amount of people Googling about them. And, and yeah, a keto diet, I would say, is bad for you if you, if you just eat like, Fat and and like a you know if you just follow the macronutrient guidelines um, and likewise with a vegan diet if you just don't eat meat but you don't care about anything else that you do after you quit you know meat and all animal products you might land up with a nutrient deficiency so I think that it's very important that people who who you know play around with their macronutrient um, ratios understand what what it is that it does to the body and then also understand like you know that they need other nutrients that there are other things at play so the argument that like keto as a blanket statement is unhealthy you know i would say you know i would pose the question back and say so you know so the diet that the person was on before they went on a keto diet you know how healthy was that for example um so no i don't think the keto diet's unhealthy i think it needs to be qualified um, I certainly think that it's that it's it's one of the healthiest ways of eating that I've ever seen. Um, I mean, I've seen people coming from going from being like diabetic to the point where they w- would be close to losing a limb and and reversing back to sort of normal health. Uh, I've seen people lose like eighty eight kilograms. I don't know in Canada are you metric or are you imperial, um, um, but eighty eight kilograms is like. Yeah, yeah, we're we're but we're metric, but the, this is worldwide, so it's helpful for the Americans yeah, so, listening. Yeah, so a hundred, you know, hundred, a hundred. I've seen someone lose one hundred and ninety pounds on keto, and have you know the doctor take them off high blood pressure medication, um, you know, insulin, uh, you know, all their diabetes medication, sleeping pills, antidepressants. So, so to say that something's not healthy is is it's not healthy to say things like that. Um, I would say that um, the, the removing. So, so sorry. I'm just going to talk about this in slightly more detail. Like, the I was going through the America's um, Diabetes Association's new consensus report, which was released in the first week of May, and I was going through it this morning. And and one of the things I noticed was that they give all the different diets that they analyzed to to compile their report. And and this is a, a an organization who has been an advocate of the low fat diet for for thirty or forty years, and um, and in in this report, which is only a week and a half old, which means it'll only become mainstream in the next you know five years, I suppose. They they looked at the Mediterranean diet, the vegan diet, um, the low carb diet, and the very low carb diet, um, and then the dash diet, which is like something to do with uh, reducing hypertension, and and all of those diets 
reduced A1C, which is that very clear marker for, for pre-diabetes or diabetes. It reduced blood pressure. Um, they reduced the risk of diabetes. And what that tells me is that, you know, if you're on a diet, it probably means that you're avoiding junk food and that you're avoiding sugar. And if that's the case, then you will become healthier. So, so, so beyond that point, the argument is then is, okay, if all of these people are eating real food and they're paying very much attention to what they're eating, like what is the, the ultra super healthiest out of all of those? And that's where I think there could possibly be more research. But in general, I think we can all agree that avoiding junk um, and avoiding sugar is, is globally accepted as healthy. And the final thing I'll add is that in that report, it's the first, the first sort of internationally published um, guideline that has been in full support of the low-carbohydrate diet in the treatment of diabetes. They even said, like, in no uncertain terms, whatever dietary approach you take, reducing carbohydrates is something that every single dietary approach should include. Yeah, I definitely so agree. Not just me um, saying want- that it's... We're going to take a quick break. I want to talk about it more when we get back. We're talking with today with Jono Proudfoot, and we're discussing his book, The Real Meal Revolution. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How much health and wellness information have you been exposed to today? Listen to Prescription for Success with Dr. Emil Haldi. Healing and empowerment start from within, but it also takes the best knowledge and advice. That's what you'll find here. Dr. Haldi and his guests will help you make the right life-enhancing decisions for well-being success. Tune in live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Prescription for Success. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. My co-host Oliver is a seven-pound chihuahua cross, and he sits through all my shows with great puppy patience. He was super happy when I came home with Carbona Pet Stain and Odor Remover, which is an oxy-powered formula with active foam technology and is engineered to permanently remove pet stains and odor. Carbona is a household brand that has turned their decades of cleaning expertise into products that get the job done fully, quickly, and easily. Although he tries his best, Oliver sometimes does have accidents. I pulled out the Carbona Pet Cleaner and voila, we were stain-free and clean. It was easy to use, pet-safe and hassle-free. The built-in two-in-one brush tackles stains at the surface and deep into the carpet fibers. It is now my other best friend. Use code FTTC at Carbona.com to save 20%. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Jono Proudfoot. And um, Jono, before the break, you you were getting into, um, you know, the the diets that, you know, just cutting out a lot of stuff will help people, which is a conversation I have with people as well, especially if they think that, um, you know, being too strict is hard for them. Um, You know, I give, there's different, you know, tiers of rules. And I say, let's start with something that might be something you can follow. And then if you want to be strict sometimes or do more, because I do find it it very difficult for people to be 100% grain free in this world. It's still hard to eat out. It's still hard to um, do something quick. A lot of people find anyways. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, so so you did right. Like I have a um a very like clear philosophy that you know, I firstly I don't necessarily think keto is for everyone. And um and we coach a lot of people and our advice is to always cut out, you know, one thing at a time. I think I think the idea of going keto like off the bat, you know, on your first day it is almost impossible and it creates what I call the house of cards effect. Um, and that's when you when you you make so many lifestyle adaptations in one go that like after two weeks you have one slip up and end up you know collapsing everything because you just give up and and move on like nothing happens. So so the, yeah so you're absolutely right. When it comes to grains, I have I mean in the book that you've got Real Meal Revolution, there there are three lists: there's the green list, the orange list, and the red list. And the red list lists like all of the foods that are um, that are high in carbohydrates or that are highly processed and you know what we feel are unhealthy. Um, and the orange list is foods that you should eat in um, in moderation. Uh, and in the green list, obviously, foods that we think you should you can eat you know eat your full of. And in in later edition and on my website, we hand out the the latest version of the list, um, which are now five lists. And what we've done is split the red list into into two. So we've got the really red list and then the light red list. And the really red list is is a, is a list of gluten-containing grains, highly processed foods that you should avoid, and then various types of sugar. 
Um, so we would say that those are definitely like the biggest priorities to get rid of. You want to get, um, you know, gluten, gluten-containing grains out of your diet, you know, all foods that don't look like foods. So you're like chicken nuggets, um, you know, generally anything that comes, that can go into the deep fryer out of the freezer, I would say. And, um, and then like anything, anything that is, that has O's in the end of its name or that is, that is a type of sugar. Like those you need to get out of your diet. I would say it doesn't matter who you are, you would benefit from removing those. And then the light red list, and this is a list that I actually still eat off. Like you were saying earlier, it's difficult to eat out. Um, if you're not diabetic and you're not chronically ill and you just kind of want to avoid bloating and skin irritations, um, you know, and you want to feel comfortable and sort of okay with food and you don't want to be put out that much, I would say that a gluten-free diet is 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 kind of adequate for a lot of people. And that means you could still eat um, gluten-free breads, uh, gluten-free pastas. Um, there are a lot of academics who argue that, that there's a, um, like a, a pseudo-gluten response to a lot of um, gluten-free grain products, which, which I believe is true. I know people who've experienced the same thing. But for me, I, I say that like, if, you, if you don't want to cut it out all at once or you want like a soft landing, you go gluten-free like long before you go low-carb. Um, and then the, the orange list, which we do encourage people to eventually cut out if they are diabetic, is, is starchy vegetables and, um, and fruit. So, all, so it's all whole foods that are high in carbohydrates. And, uh, and I'm an athlete and I'm not particularly insulin resistant, so, so I eat um, plenty whole, whole foods that are, that are reasonably high in carbohydrates. But we have seen that um, diabetics, especially trying to lower their A1C and come off their medication, they're unable to, to do that without cutting out the light red and the orange list. So they basically end up only eating off the green list, which still includes like great meats and great vegetables and good healthy fat. Well, so is there a point if a diabetic is following just the green list that their body gets better and they can tolerate some of the other foods? Yeah, so so one of the things we put a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, not in not in the first iteration. So the first iteration of, of the diet is mainly like an introduction to the science. And, and since then, we've developed more like practical ways of of implementing the science, but the science is still most definitely all in the, in the first book. So, um, look, if you, if you've been diabetic for like 15 years, it's very difficult to turn back the clock. We, we have seen people come off, come off their medication. Um, and what they end up doing is, is staying pretty strict keto, um, for a long period of time. But as you learn your body's response to, you know, the occasional, I don't like to say cheat meal. I like to say celebration meal because cheat kind of adds morality to the situation, which you know where it really has no place. But the, um, <laughs> when you have a celebration meal, you end up seeing a, um, an insulin response, or you know you get knocked out of ketosis. And each person has a different a different reaction. So really, everyone is totally different. And I, I have seen many people who. Um, who once they get their gut lining fully restored, so this means like spending a good year or even longer, um, sort of like um, nurturing their gut bacteria, avoiding things on the red list that would um, that would kill off the bacteria or that would damage the the gut lining. Once they've got their their gut banging on all cylinders, I have seen people 
you know, who are able to, to add in an unhealthy meal on occasion. But I would say that as soon as you start adding in sugar and refined carbohydrates, you end up feeding the wrong bacteria and causing the same damage that got you to where you were in the first place. So it's, it's you know, it's probably a slightly bitter pill to swallow. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think well, the way well, you, you know, it, out, it, outweighs what you give up, yeah. Yeah, and you would hope that, um, especially if it takes a year to, to see some uh, dramatic healing. I, I, I know it can, it will happen faster than that, but a year to, to turn everything around yeah. and be able to eat some foods again. Um, you know, you would hope that at that point it's become a lifestyle and you're enjoying how you're feeling instead of this is a diet that I have to do at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, you, you can make it delicious. And um, and and that's really what people, you know, that's what we try and encourage people to do. We've just always wanted to make um, low carb as, as delicious as humanly possible. And and uh, you know, I was, I was telling you over email about my latest book, um, low carb cooking. And the mm-hmm. idea with that book was to to give people a, a, basically three hundred low carb recipes. Um, and I'm from a restaurant background, so I, I try to make them as delicious as possible and focused on technique. Um, and and the idea with that was to get people to to commit to cooking as often as they could and trying their best to learn techniques and make food delicious so that instead of, of dieting, they're actually acquiring a skill or a nurturing a hobby. And um, and then weight loss then becomes a side effect and not the main focal point or, or health becomes the, the side effect and not the focal point. Um. Which I think, I mean, is the point of changing your diet is to feel good and and enjoy how you're feeling. Now, aside from diabetes, is there um, anything else that people would see a change in if they did this? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the the benefits are, some of them are quite like, um, I don't know how to say it. Some of them are, are quite minor, like you wouldn't realize that they are. Um, that that how much they bug you until they actually go away. And we've had we've had people talk about like vastly improved sleep. Um, I mean the four big, the five biggest are are weight loss, reversal of type two diabetes, um, disappearance of irritable bowel syndrome, um, normalized blood pressure, and vastly improved sleep. So those are the five sort of the big guys. And then and then um, further down you. you you know, when you're in ketosis, I mean, you will have experienced this, um, you have this, like, euphoric lucidity. So you get incredible mental clarity um, and what we call boundless energy. So you just feel more energetic, almost like you're on a high. Um, for those who, who are particularly unhealthy, we say you get improved athletic performance. And, and I don't want people to confuse that by saying a keto diet will make you perform better. But but all the science has said that a keto diet and a normal diet don't outperform each other in any way. The reason they say your performance improves when you're on a keto diet is because you perform best when you're at your healthiest. And for people who are quite sick um, and manage to rejuvenate their health through a keto diet, their athletic performance will improve because they are healthier. Um, so, yeah, like a lot of people have come back saying they had like achy bones, um, you know, you know, joints, joint aches and pains from sort of being old. 
uh, well, they would think that it's because of old age, and actually, when they go on keto, those aches and pains just disappear. Um, the clearance of gout, um, the removal of uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, or at least the reduction in the symptoms, and um, and then a few other ones that are slightly slightly harder to prove, but but like the reduction in migraines and epileptic seizures. Seizures, you'll know that. Um, but they've used a uh, ketogenic diet to treat epilepsy um, for years. In fact, I think that was where most of the research has actually been done. And then, and then the sort of like broad sweeping statement is that it just it generally improves all blood markers, um, uh, but mainly around um, heart disease, so heart, heart disease risk, and it reduces uh, chronic inflammation. So it sounds like... Sounds like it's like a magic pill, but you you have to understand that like you know that's from from thousands and thousands of people giving us their feedback. So it's not like one person would necessarily get like fifteen cures immediately, or well, they may well do. But that that is the cluster of of improvements that keto shows, especially to our audience. Um, well, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't want a reduction of of all those symptoms. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, I'd, I want to feel good um, in, in my life. And, and I know um, that it does make a big difference for a lot of people. I have, I have seen that clinically. Now, um, that being said, is there um, proof? I, you've talked a little bit about some, some studies like on the seizures and stuff, but is there proof that that going grain-free and following this is going to help us? Yeah, so so there, there are a lot of studies that have been done, uh, not many studies that have gone on for longer than two years. Um, I mean, the most current study is a study that's, that's an ongoing proprietary study um, with, a, with a Silicon Valley startup called Verta Health. And, uh, I mean, for those listeners who are aware of Steve Finney and Jeff Volek, they're the, the sort of godfathers of, of the keto diet. And, um, and they've actually started, um, a company where they combine, um, coaching, uh, dietitian sort of, uh, customized eating and medical monitoring, um, like on a 24 hour basis, uh, for diabetics. And they have gotten, I think, an 87 percent success rate um, after the first year for um, their for their patients or clients, whichever you want to call them, um, reducing or completely uh, coming off their um, their diabetes medication. So they've actually set out to reverse diabetes in in America. And and the reason I mentioned those two guys, Keith Finney and Jeff Volek, is because they've been researching um, low carbohydrates and the impact on exercise performance and diabetes since. Um, I think since like the late 80s, I think 87 was when it first started. Um, so if you just Google their names, you'll see like ample studies coming up with, um, you know, and these are not like random studies. There. Well, <laughs> they actually are random studies because they're RCTs, the randomized controlled trials, etc. Um, it's just that the latest studies was run within their company with their own clients, and that's why it's a proprietary study. And that's further health. So they've got all the data and, and Steve Finney and Jeff Rolick have got tons of science. There's also, if you just Google keto science, um, you'll hit a page on the Diet Doctor website um, where they list, I think, over 70 different clinical trials and, um, and meta-analysis of, you know, some epidemiological stuff um, that all supports the low-carb diet. So, 
So there is, there is actually a lot more research out there than, than people think. Yeah, which is good to know because you know it's it, as with every diet, it's it's controversial. But um, to know that this has been looked at and something that that is going to help, um, I think, will help people make that decision for themselves even better. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Jono Proudfoot, and we're discussing his book, The Real Meal Revolution. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How much health and wellness information have you been exposed to today? Listen to Prescription for Success with Dr. Emil Haldi. Healing and empowerment start from within, but it also takes the best knowledge and advice. That's what you'll find here. Dr. Haldi and his guests will help you make the right life-enhancing decisions for well-being success. Tune in live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Prescription for Success. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking to Jono Proudfoot, and we're discussing his book, The Real Meal Revolution. So, Jono, you know, one thing um, that that comes up is that if we all change how we're, we're eating, this is going to change how agriculture and everything else looks like. What do you think would be the future of all of that? 
Yeah, uh, thanks for bringing that up. It's a it's a it's a huge issue, and and I think the the beauty of it, or 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 maybe the complexity of it, is 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 going to stump everyone because I believe that it that there's a different solution for for every single country here. Um, you know, every country has its own um, soil type, its own climate, um, and its own financial policies around agriculture. But just to paint the picture for, for the listeners, um, most of the grains, the, the reason our staples are, are grains like corn and wheat is because for the most part they're subsidized by the government. That's the first point. So it's cheaper for farmers to, to, to grow them and it's cheaper for consumers to buy them. Um, but they also have, uh, you know, lasting shelf life, um, which means that, you know, they can last the whole year. So they provide sort of a, an element of food security. The problem is that these foods are cheap and, and, and are thought to cause bad health. And the foods that are, that are actually the healthiest for us to eat end up being, you know, very expensive. Um, and they don't have a very long shelf life. So if if you had to imagine that a third of America, just for example, because it is actually a third, if that's 100 million people, if if a third of them are diabetic and they then go on to a keto diet, um, uh, that means that, you know, that's a third of the American grain supply or at least grain demand drops. And, and then, you know, a whole lot of other produce will then become in demand, um, but that'll obviously be more expensive and not subsidised by by the government, and potentially have a much lower shelf life or shorter shelf life. So, so there are huge shifts, and and I think I think the reason I, I love talking about this is because um, it's it's taken the state and policy and agriculture and health to to get us to the position we're in now, where there are these chronic health and obesity epidemics around the world, um, and I don't, and I think it's naive. To think that it's just a dietary policy change that's going to reverse the clock there. I think that it's going to take, you know, tax legislation, um, the, the laws of agriculture, um, you know, possibly even distribution, um, you know, the way food food gets distributed, as well as um, dietary policy and medical policy to to reverse the clock on on the obesity and chronic health epidemic. Uh, chronic ill health de- epidemic, and um, and I think the the final point there is that um, it's it's unique to every country or every type of human being, because you know like um, the the Japanese have been eating rice for centuries and they're fine. Whereas if you put someone who's insulin resistant in front of a plate of rice, they sort of look at it and put on two kilograms. And likewise, the Incas. And the, um, the, the, uh, so the Incas and the Aztecs, they were eating corn or quinoa as their staple sort of thousands of years ago, and they didn't have obesity as an issue. Um, and in South Africa, I know we used to grow this spinach in South Africa called marojo, which was 32 grams of protein per 100 grams. And our diet was mostly that and a grain called sorghum. Um, and, and you take the sorghum and the marojo away and give them corn and wheat. And all of a sudden they have diabetes and, um, and, uh, and obesity. So, so I believe that, um, and obviously all of these grains, they all grew naturally without irrigation and without sort of major manhandling, um, in all of their natural climate. So I believe that, you know, the way to get back there is for, for people to look at what grows naturally, what grows best, 
um, because those options will be the more sustainable options. And unfortunately, I think it is unique to every to every country or to at least every every climate. Well, and, um, you know, I think we could go into this a little deeper, but we're not going to have time today. But, um, you know, I've done some shows on on agriculture, and I know that one thing that doesn't always happen is that the grains and everything grows better if you're rotating your crops. And, um, you know, that is something that that should start to happen as well so that we have more variety and we're not just growing um, wheat because that's also damaging our soil and causing other problems. So when when you're um, recommending people start on this diet, um, uh, what do you, where do they start? What do people do? Yeah, so, so the first thing we get them to do is to, to get them to sit and think about why they're actually doing it. Um, and then to to look at to try and create a a sort of um, yeah to create like a positive vision um, for their health. And I think the reason we do that is you know low carb diets it's not a one size fits all. And what we find is that when people adapt to well when they obey the rules as it were those rules you know if if something doesn't work for them they tend to write off. Um, the whole program as opposed to just um, narrowing it down to one or two things that aren't working. So what we find is really important is for people to to commit to actually making a transformation in their lives um, before they try actually change anything in the way they eat because if you go in knowing that you're going to you're going to um, you know, get healthier or get thinner or um, get fitter no matter what, then you're a lot um, harder to rattle when when things don't go your way. So the first thing is definitely to, to set a, a goal and, and draw a line in the sand. Um, that's an important conversation to have because if you're um, resistant to making changes or you're having cravings and and you don't know really why in your heart you're doing it, um, and and I think for some people assessing as well how important it is for them to make those changes because people don't always ask themselves yeah. those questions. Do I want to continue feeling this way? Am I okay with what's happening right now in my body? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, the, so there are two there are two sides to that process that we deal with. The one is um, we create what we call like a web of accountability. So, so we ask people to actually document um, all the people in their lives, you know, from colleagues to um, coaches to um, medical professionals, friends, family, etc. And then, and then categorize them into like five different categories, four different categories. So it's, you know, the people in your life who you're just going to tell, and then you split that into two groups. Like the one is the people who are going to support you, and the other is the people who are going to drag you down so that you have them on like a blacklist and you're aware, like, but that person's a, a naysayer. So, you know, don't be surprised if they try and crush your goal. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, 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 the people who are supporting you. Um, so that's your coach, your medical professional, etc. And then there's um, your partners in crime. So these are the people you're going to turn to when you're suffering and they're suffering, because suffering builds community. So you've got like your part, you know, your your like your your band of brothers, or you know, your um, yeah. I think partners in crime is probably the best way to explain it. And then the the last group is 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 the is what well what we call it is is creating um, a way to make your goal 
bigger than you. So when you make your goal about someone else, it's much harder to um, to give up on it. Um, and and so sometimes you can pledge your your you know your you can pledge an amount that you're going to donate to charity when you when you achieve your goal. But sometimes it's as simple as just writing down you know the people the ten people in your life who you're closest to and how they will benefit um, if you achieve your goal or if you improve your health. Um, and usually it's really easy to paint that picture. You know, you go up the mountain with your daughter or you can be supportive to your parents in their old age or you can just be a better employee, you can be a better friend, etc. Um, you can inspire these people. So, And the reason we set that up is so that when someone's feeling shaky, um, they have this picture that they've painted um, of how like all the people in their life will respond um, when they when they do achieve or, um, what they want to achieve, and generally like that is something that's really inspiring to to look toward. But it's also it keeps you very accountable because you don't want to fall back on on you don't want to let all those people down as well. So we call it a, a web of accountability. I, I, I like that um, you yeah. um, you have that conversation uh, for a couple reasons. One, I always talk to uh, patients about how when you're not well, your relationships are always affected. You're tired. You're sore. You're not who you could be showing up. And so you have to do the work so that you can heal those. Um, but also, you know, recognizing recognizing that they are affected and who's going to be there to support you and, and, and who maybe you should avoid until you feel a little stronger if they are going to try to sabotage what you're doing. Totally. So that's so that's the that's the the one step that we take, and that's totally right. You know, like um, changing the the nature of a relationship is often often um, you know better than than terminating one. So if you have a friend, you usually you know go and eat cake with. Make that the friend that you go and walk the dog with. So, the, so there, there are those tweaks you can make. Um, the, the second thing that we we tell people to look at is um, is what we call this. It's a future self, a future self exercise. So, so the first thing is is taking all of that information from the summons and getting them to to try and associate like massive pleasure with with putting in the work. Um, and this. So it comes out in, in the form of a story. We tell them to write a story as, you know, in present tense, but in the future. So in 10 years' time, you would write, like, what your life is like um, sentence by sentence. So about your health and about the relationships and about the way you see food. And, and you know, if you write something like, I only eat food that serves my, you know, my ultimate goal to be really healthy, um, that's a lot better than saying, you know, I don't eat cake. Um, because, you know, maybe maybe like a slice of cake once a quarter or once a month actually serves your ultimate goal, which is to be mostly healthy. So we get them to, to really work. It's like a copywriting exercise, just, better, just as much as it is like a, you know, a vision-creating exercise. And, um, and then at the same time, we get them to do um, the opposite, which is to write a... A, a, a picture or a list of, of all the terrible things that could happen if they follow the opposite trajectory. So what you do is you create like mass pain uh, neurological pathway with like the with the negative behavior and a mass pleasure with the positive behavior. And um, 
I mean, research says that that actually rewires uh, neurological pathways in your brain, and you begin to associate like eating healthily with mass pleasure and and um, and great things that are potentially going to happen in your life. So, that, and that's before you even, you know, before you even clear out your cupboard. I think you should do that because because then I think you'll be unstoppable. Well, yeah, and a lot of people, you know, they decide to do something, but they don't assess why. So it is, it, it is really important to do that. Um, and, and, you know, and I, 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 I love your, your book as well. I haven't seen your new one, but, you know, I was actually um, sharing a lot of your recipes with, with people um, because they, they looked so delicious, <laughs> which is your goal. That's awesome. um, you know, and it's important for people to realize that this isn't torturous. You know, a lot of people say, well, if I remove gluten or grains, what what is there left? And there's so much more left. Yeah. You know, there's there, there's so much more food in the world than just that one thing. Um, so it, but it's important to, to experiment. I mean, you're changing a habit, so it is hard at first, and there's always resistance. It's human nature. Um, but but you you've made it, um, you know, taste better and, and look better. So thank you. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so if, if there's anybody who wants more information, how can they get in touch with you or find your book? Yeah, best thing is to, to hit my website, which is um, realmealrevolution.com. And um, if you wanted to download the, the lists that I was talking about, it's in the top navigation menu. It says banting slash keto food list. And then if you want to get a hold of our books, that's under the resources tab. And you can look at all four of the books and the links are there to buy them from pretty much anywhere in the world. So it's realmealrevolution.com. And then if you want the list, it's the Banting Gita food list. And under resources, you'll find all of our books. And then you Um, can just email support at realmealrevolution.com if you want to get in touch. Um, which is great. And, you know, picking up the book, even if you're not going to be 100% following this, you're going to have some great meals and, and you're going to be healthier, just making a few decisions. And, and, you know, we talked about it doesn't have to be perfect 100%. It's just making that decision for yourself to be a little bit healthier. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it, it was a, a really informative episode. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Rebecca, and thank you very much to the listeners for listening. Uh, I hope they enjoyed it as much as I did. Well, thanks so much. Um, today we were talking with Jono Proudfoot, who joined us from South Africa, and we were discussing his book, The Real Mill Revolution. If you want more information about my story or what I went through, you can find that on my website at dr-risk.com. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and um Uh, Thank you so much for listening today. Just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.